church. Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to the book of Jonah. We continue to uh, look at Jonah and look at this this book that is uh, not about a fish. It's about a God whose grace is scandalous. A God whose grace is is so extravagant uh, that one writer has has referred to God as as a prodigal God, a wasteful God, because he and that's not 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 meaning negatively, but that he is so generous with his grace and with his mercy. We have seen that in this book up to this point, as God has been presenting his work to us and. In, in this hyperbolic fashion where all of our expectations are being turned on their heads, where, where the prophet is the one who is, who is running from God, who is not willing to speak for God, who is hypocritically, though, still wanting to cling to the benefits he gets from God. And, and the, the, uh, the pagan sailors are the ones who are giving up their lives to Yahweh and making vows and worshiping him. And, and, and uh, Jonah, and what we saw in chapter 2, you know, he, he is plunged into the ocean. The way that it reads is he, he blames God. He blames God for being plunged into the ocean. And yet... In the midst of blaming God for, for his own situation, God had already planned his mercy and already had a provision. And Jonah was quite happy to receive that provision. But one of the things we did not see in chapter 2, and this is important as we, as we move into chapter 3 this morning, nowhere in chapter 2, nowhere... In, in uh, Jonah's psalm of thanksgiving, does he actually repent of his sins? Nowhere. He was quite happy to receive mercy. But that mercy was not because he had repented. God is so extravagant, so scandalous, he's even giving grace to this, to this wayward, disobedient prophet who was, who was a hypocrite, God is still gracious to him. So the scandal of this grace so far is, is not just the, the scandal that God has been gracious to pagan sailors. God is being gracious to an unrepentant prophet. Keeping that in mind, I'm going to begin reading in chapter 2, verse 10, and then read through uh, chapter 3. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim the proclamation I'm about to give you. So Jonah got up, and this time he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. 
Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have been willing, that you have even been excited to waste your grace on us. Not a grace that we have earned, not a grace that we are worthy of because of repentance and faith but a grace that we are not worthy of, a grace that we do not deserve, a grace that we would not even be able to maintain if it was left up to our efforts, but a grace nonetheless that you lavish upon us because it brings you delight. And so help us, Lord, to interact with you by your grace as it comes to us through your word this morning, that we would be reoriented to what it means to be recipients of your grace and participants in the unstoppable and sufficient ministry of your word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What a contrast! What a contrast. We have seen multiple contrasts up to this point, have we not? Where as we keep reading, we, we keep expecting to see one thing and we, we actually see the other. We, we expect to see a prophet respond to, to God's call by, by getting up and going where God has said. Instead, what we have seen is the prophet get up and go down and go away. And, and we are told that he, is, he knows he is trying to escape the presence of God. We see these pagan sailors and we expect them to respond 
to the hypocritical profession of faith of the prophet, we expect them to respond as you and I would probably respond when we know that there is someone who says they love Jesus and yet there is nothing in their lives that seem to reveal that. When, when they make their big strong case to us, well, I, I believe in Jesus, what do you and I typically do? Or maybe it's just me. Now, at this point in my ministry, I only do it inwardly. But I roll my eyes. Every now and then it will happen outwardly too. But it is so easy when we're faced with that and you, and you see this and you're just like, give me a break. Constantly, constantly, constantly. We see the, the prophet plunging into the water instead of just praying a prayer of repentance on the ship. He still doesn't care about these pagan sailors. He's still putting their lives in danger. And what do we see? It is the pagan sailors who, once they are able to get back to dry land, they make sacrifice. They make an offering to the Lord. They repent and they cling to this new God who has revealed himself to them. And they, they make vows. This is, this, this is a covenantal language that, that they now see themselves as servants of the one true God. What is the prophet doing? He is sinking and sinking and sinking further and further and further into his unrepentance. And not because he repents, but because God is a loving Heavenly Father that is going to lovingly discipline his child has a place of safety prepared, has a means of salvation already there in place. And though the prophet doesn't deserve it, the Lord blesses him with safety in the midst of judgment. Salvation is coming to to the prophet, not salvation here speaking as as we tend to speak in, in, in terms of of, of the, the salvation from sin, but there is salvation, there is rescue from death. And that rescue, that salvation that is happening in chapter 2 happens through judgment, not through the avoidance of it, but where God is with the prophet as he goes through this judgment and as God uses this to wake him up. And we do see that Jonah begins to wake up. He, he does acknowledge that, that he was plunging and that he was sinking and that there was no hope for him unless God acted. He is waking up to that, but he never responds with acknowledging that he's the reason that he is in that circumstance. You, you caused the waves to, to crash down upon me, and, and as I sank and I got to the very bottom, but then you also were willing to help me out. So thank you. I really do appreciate it. 
At the end of chapter 2, though, Jonah gets a little dig in on the, on the pagans, and especially those pagan sailors. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You see, Jonah doesn't know that the sailors repented. He doesn't know that they made it back to land. He doesn't know that they set up an altar and offered sacrifice and and made covenantal vows to the one true God. He has no idea. He still sees them as pagans. And he is still asserting his superiority over them. Those pagans, those pagans that were up there on that ship who have who are clinging to those all those remember all those false idols? That those, those sailors, they were praying to this God and then to this God and then to this one. They would just pray to any old God. But I'm the one that knows the true God. And so look what happened to me. He still doesn't get it. And yet God's mercy and his grace is continuing to be lavished upon this unrepentant prophet. And it is only because of God's mercy and God's grace that Jonah did not sink to the bottom and die. It is only by God's mercy and his grace that Jonah doesn't remain in the fish's belly and get digested. It is only by the mercy and grace of God that he is vomited back onto the land and he is given a second chance. Notice that the direction of the action has changed. In, in chapter 1 and, and, and almost all throughout chapter 2, the verb we kept hearing was descended, descended, descended. He went down, he went down, he went down. And now he has been vomited up. Things are reversing. (laughs) What a wonderful picture of that, right? If you want to really impress reversal of of the narrative action, what what better picture or portrait of that than regurgitation, right? And so there is this reversal of action where things are are changing, things are shifting, and, and where in the descent... Jonah was was descending not just into these different physical geographical locations. He was descending further and further and further into chaos and death. And now things have reversed. He is no longer in the in the swirling chaos of the judgment waters he is no longer in the uncertain precarious situation of being in the fish's belly he is now back on dry land and in almost a word for word recollection from the call in chapter 1 Yahweh once again speaks to Jonah up, go to Nineveh. The exact same call. Now one of the beautiful things here is let this sink in. Had you forgotten about the Ninevites? Had you forgotten about the original call? Or had you 
done what is so typical that I so often do? Did you look at this failing prophet and think, oh, well, his ministry's over. There's, nothing, there's no more for him to do. The Lord has been gracious to him, and, and he hasn't you know, lost that relationship that he has, but you, know, you can't trust someone like this. But what does Yahweh do? Up. Go to Nineveh and speak the words that I'll give you. What grace. Mercy. It is almost scandalous that a failed prophet, one who denied God, one who tried to escape his presence, one who failed in in every regard that you can think of at this moment in time, is being restored to his ministry. Ever wondered why Jesus referred to Peter as Simon Bar-Jonah? You see, this is who our God is. Does he recognize our failings? Absolutely. Does he take our failures into consideration? Absolutely. Does our sin bring negative consequences upon us? Sure do. But he is a loving heavenly father that has a plan for us even when we fail him. And he is the God who restores sinners. Not just the godly sinners. Not just the ones who look like they're trying. Not just the ones who who put on the right clothes and, and have the right attitudes and can use the right words and they know how to go through the process of, of looking the look or talking the talk. He loves to restore sinners. Almost to the point that it's scandalous. Yahweh restores Jonah even as Jesus would restore Simon, the son of Jonah. As Peter would would sit by the sea, as, as he would see the Lord in the resurrection, and Jesus would come to him, and Jesus would feed him and take care of him and love on him and nurture him and then recall him to the apostolic ministry that Jesus already had planned out for him. Not because Peter has repented, Peter repents because of the gracious restoration. That's not how you and I typically function, is it? It's hard to restore. Now, we're not perfect. We're not God. So I'm not asking you to attempt to do or be something that you are not. 
But one of the things that we have to align our hearts with is that God does things this way. He loves to pour out his mercy and his grace, not because someone has repented and is worthy of it, but in order to help them establish their repentance. God is preserving here not only the prophetic ministry of Jonah, God is preserving the mission to the Ninevites. As God preserves Jonah and and carrying him through judgment into the salvation in which he has vomited out of the fish's belly onto dry land. It is that portrait of the way God loves to speak through prophets who, who descend into chaos and death and who arise out of that into new life and new opportunity. There is a prophet that, that Jonah is pointing us towards here, a prophet who would go down into the, the depths of sin and death, one who would go into the belly of Sheol itself, as it is, it is described in Jonah chapter 2, and who for three days would, would be held captive in the darkness and the death and the chaos of that sin and yet who would be raised in glorious victory out of that chaos back into uh, the world but yet a renewed world with renewed realities and and fresh opportunities to speak the proclamation of the God of the heavens to those who would listen. We don't know this for a fact, but more than likely, Peter here is still somewhere around Joppa. Remember when he tried to run, he descended and descended down to Joppa where he got onto the the ship itself, where they were not able to go very far because of the the storm that, that God flung onto the ocean. More than likely, where he is coming up out of this fish is right there around Joppa itself. Where once again, the the prophet is being given the opportunity, having been restored, he is being given the opportunity for a ministry to the Gentiles. Who was the first apostle with a ministry to the Gentiles? Now, we all know that Paul is often referred to as the apostle to the Gentiles, but who was the first apostle? with a ministry to the Gentiles? Who was the first apostle who was called to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles? Well, in Acts chapter 10, Jesus comes to Peter and puts that display as as that sheet of barbecue comes down from the sky, and and as Jesus says to Peter, eat freely. And Peter says, no way. That's unclean. I can't eat of that. That is unclean. And Jesus says, who are you to call unclean what I call clean? 
And the whole purpose is to help Peter understand that God's purposes have always been broader than Israel. God's purposes are global. His purposes are that his grace go to the coastlands, as we, as we saw in Psalm 97. And, and what happens is Peter gets that call that what he is to do after that vision and after his prayer on that rooftop, he is to go into the house of Cornelius. By the way, do you know where all that happened? Joppa. The restored prophet vomited onto the land there near Joppa, once again called to go to the Ninevites. The apostle Peter in Joppa would receive the call from Jesus, go to the Gentiles. This has always been God's purpose. And it has always been the privilege of God's people to be preserved from our sin in order to participate in the mission. And all of that comes down to the proclamation that Yahweh is going to give Jonah to proclaim. Jonah doesn't have to come up with the message. Jonah doesn't have to figure out how, how, do, I, how do I get the attention? How do I, how do I attract a following? How, how, what, you know, what techniques do I need to do in order to, to speak just the right way so that I don't really offend anybody and, and, and at the same time I get to you know, you kind of you know, give them the truth or, or the vice versa, right? He doesn't just say, all right, well, then I'm just going to take, you know, whatever I think is best in order to make sure that those rotten, wicked Ninevites know how rotten and wicked they are. The prophet has one call. Speak what Yahweh tells you to speak. You don't have to add from it or add to it, and you don't have to detract from it. Just speak what Yahweh has spoken. And what is the result that we see? A repentance the like of which Israel herself needed to give to Yahweh and was unwilling to give. This is not just a couple of people embracing what God is saying. There is a complete reversal, once again, of what is happening in the social structure of Nineveh itself. Whereas the word of God comes to Nineveh in the form of, of this preserved prophet who is still speaking against his will. And what happens? There is a reversal that is hard to believe. From bottom to top, people are responding to the words that the, this, this prophet, this, this reluctant prophet, they are responding to the words and repenting in a way that Jonah himself has been unwilling to do. 
from the least to the greatest. From, from the humans to the flocks and herds. Once again, it is, it is hyperbole that is, that is meant to, to describe things in an over-the-top way to, to shock us and to once again cause us to, to kind of laugh and to chuckle. The prophet who knows Yahweh is unwilling to repent. He'll receive grace, but he's unwilling to repent. And what do we have here? We have pagans who are willing to repent, who don't even know if it will lead to God's grace. Who knows? Maybe God will relent. Did you catch that? They are repenting. Because they are responding to the power and presence of God in their midst as it comes in the word. Not in how the word is given. Not the reasons for which the word is given. But the word is present. And God is present in his word because God would become his word. And where his own would receive him not. Right? Jonah not repenting. Where his own would receive him not. Those, to those who would receive, they would become children of God. Beloved, the ministry that we are a part of is a privilege that is indescribable. And God is so committed to what he is doing in his mission that he will preserve that mission even through using reluctant followers so often like you and I are. Where that opportunity to bear witness to Christ is, is put right before us and, and where we choose not to speak. Where that opportunity of, of speaking, hey, hey, I know you're going through this issue. Here's what God has said. Instead, we'll remain silent. We get scared or worse. We don't see that person as, as being worthy of being given the opportunity. Oh, that person, if you knew, if you knew how, how difficult he was to talk to, you wouldn't waste your time. The Ninevites respond because all they needed was God's word and the power and presence of God who was present in his word. And the hypocrisy of the reluctant prophet is incapable of stopping what God is doing to the point that God will even use reluctant prophets to bring about a supernatural work because the glory is always for God and the good is for those who will respond with repentance and faith. Beloved, our Heavenly Father will use every single person in this room. The 
question is, will he use you as one who is reluctant or will he use you as one who enjoys being used by the Father to spread his extravagant grace to such wicked sinners that this church might come to have a scandalous reputation of loving sinners. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, forgive us for the many excuses we make in our own reluctance in bearing witness to you. Forgive us for the ways that we would rather talk about other things, things where we get to display a, a superiority to the, to the wicked person in front of us. And instead, Lord, help us to be humbled in the reality that, that every sinner is equally a sinner before you, that none of us are ahead of the others, and that the righteousness that, that you have gifted to us is not deserved we can't even maintain it. It is the scandal of your extravagance. And so, Lord, help us to embrace this so that we might enjoy a scandalous reputation for loving sinners and for, for encouraging repentance and seeking your blessing, not through, through earning it, but in tasting of it as you freely give yourself to us in your word, in the sacrament, and in prayers. Lord, may the, the presence and power that you have, have placed within your word, may it go with us in this coming week, shaping us and leading us, not just to, to be happy to receive your grace, but because of the grace that has been received to repent of our sins and to be oriented once again over and over and over that we are your children because we have died with Christ and we have been brought to new life in order to love you and to love our neighbor. Help us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.